Be seated, please. I don't want to talk about beheading John the Baptist. Good. Thank you. My high school track coach, Langton, Langston Pate, on the day before the big track meet, endeavored to try to um, inspire us young runners with a talk. And in that talk, he came to the critical point and he said, the success you will have depends upon one word. One word only describes it. Intestinal fortitude. <laughs> well, I remembered it. So, inspired by my coach, I want to say to you today that if I were required to come up with the essence of the gospel, I can give it to you in one word. And that one word is glorious grace. <laughs> Hope you remember that. It is what Paul outlined today in his epistle as the magnificent aspect of the gift of God to us. But after 45 years in the ministry, 44 years in the ministry, I will tell you that the concept of grace is a difficult one and has not been well um, practiced or used in our concept of things. For 38 years, I ran summer camp. Uh, I did camps for junior high, pre-humans. <laughs> and um, I would start the theological classes that transported through the week with requesting them, many of which, most of which were actually at that time confirmed Episcopalian people to give me a definition of grace. And you know what I heard. Well, it's a girl's name. Yes, I'll grant you that. Well, it's what you do when you dance well. You have grace. I said, you mean graceful. Well, yeah, grace. Well, let's get religious. Oh, it's the prayer you say before you eat. Well, yes, but I'm talking about the theological concept of grace. And in all those years, I only had one kid who was able to give me the definition. Well, I'm not going to ask you all, not embarrass anybody, so I'll just tell you. Grace comes from a word that has a very distinct meaning. It means an undeserved, free gift given by the giver in which the recipient has no part to play. You get it free. You don't deserve it, necessarily. You don't have to ask for it, necessarily. You don't have to do anything to get it, necessarily. It is a practice of the person who gives it. 
And he makes all the choice. He makes the decision. When we talk about grace from God, then the question becomes, what gift is he giving you? Well, I put an S at the end of that. It's gifts. It's more than just one thing. Now, Paul tells us that the greatest gift that God has given us is Jesus Christ. And that in Jesus Christ, the gift that he gives us is redemption. Redemption from our sins, restoration with God, and an expectation, an honest and real expectation for eternity in the presence of God in joyful experience. But we are given an understanding by God of what the possibility of what that kind of grace means in something like we see here. Think for a minute about the wonderful gifts of God that start with creation alone and what the joy it is I know there are people in the world today who look around the world and see all kinds of problems, all kinds of terribleness, all kinds of degradation, and they wonder, where's God? Or what kind of God is this that allows these kind of things? But I start from a different place. When I look out at something like this, I am reminded that God in His not only wisdom, but love made creation in such a way that millions of miles from here, a sun projects light that comes to us, we don't know it, sitting here like this, in a prism of colors. In a prism, think for a minute of all these radiant colors that come down and land here and because of certain kinds of pigment that came from the creation of God they absorb and reject and transmit push away and absorb colors in such a way that we get to see a huge I mean just huge variety of color with images and our it's projected to us, it comes into our eyes, the cones pick it up, and it transmits by some kind of process into our brain, and we see this. But it's more than this. I want you to think about this. If you were an animal, that's food and shelter. <laughs> For us, it may be food and shelter, but it's more than that. We see it, and we are emotionally touched we see it and it does something to us internally. We find joy in what we see. We find joy in what we hear. We sing songs and we're moved. That's just the beginning of grace. And grace then extends out in this magnificent sense of God's love for us in which he says, okay, I know you've messed up. <laughs> I know you have not done what you're supposed to do, and you haven't done the things you should have done, and guess what? I love you anyway. I love you anyway. And I love you so much 
then I'm going to give you the means by which, even if you can't do it yourself, I'll do it for you. And my son will resolve the problem. Because good news is the result of answering bad news. <laughs> so remember, there is bad news that good news is the answer to. So we're given grace whether we want it. We're given grace no matter what. It's like air. You can't do anything about it. You didn't make it. You only get to breathe it. That's it. Then why is it so hard for us to accept grace? I mean, it is for me, and I suspect it is for you too. Part of the reason, I think, is we don't like to be beholden. <laughs> to use a Western word. If you receive a gift, you may, I'm sure you say thank you, but what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you receive a gift? Uh, that's right. You're going to have to, I mean, you're going to have to return that gift somehow to that person. So we spend our time either feeling guilty that we can't restore an equal amount of gift, or we overgift, or we do whatever. How do you repay God for your life? Really? How can you do that? So we spend a lot of time in guilt, don't we? A lot of us spend a lot of time saying, I know I can't, so what am I left with? I maintain we should merely accept it. Why not just receive what is a free gift? Why not joy in it? Instead of worrying about it, or trying to prove ourselves worthy of it, which we can't. Well, we can. The more we sin, <laughs> the more the grace is. But Paul says, should we do that? And he says, absolutely not. We shouldn't. And most of us know we shouldn't, and most of us spend our time trying to prove ourselves worthy of God's grace. And we can't. We ought not to, as a matter of fact. So then we're stuck with a problem. How do we receive grace? How do we receive it? And what do we do with it? That becomes the big question I think we all struggle with. <coughs> Paul, a little later on, comes to a sentence. If there's, one, if there's one word to describe Christianity, glorious grace, one sentence Paul comes up with later. I'm going to shorten it. It's a longer sentence, but I'm going to shorten it a bit. Paul says... You are saved by grace as a gift from God. And you receive it by faith. To do what? To perform good works. Normally when I ask people, you're saved by grace through faith, for what purpose? They say, oh, to be saved. I say, well, that's sort of a circular argument. I'm saved to be saved. No. Remember, you are saved by faith, by grace through faith. All right, let's look at faith for just a second. A lot of people struggle with what faith means. I have a very simple definition for me that I'm going to give to you, and you can use it as you wish. 
Faith is believing something to the point that you act as if it is so. Very simple. If you believe it, and you believe it truly, then you're going to act as if it is so. And if you don't, then I maintain you don't believe it. Mostly we don't think about the things that we do on faith. For example, was George Washington the first president of the United States? Fact or faith? Oh, really? <laughs> what if I were told he wasn't the first president of the United States? Would you believe me? George Washington was the first president of the United States under the Constitution. The United States was formed, the United States of America, used by the first name, was formed long before then, and there was the Articles of Confederation, and the first president was John Hancock. Do you believe that? Ah, oh, I've caused a crisis of faith. <laughs> But we do believe enough to where we act. And the question becomes, if you believe in the grace of God, given to you freely, that has restored you to Him, and that Jesus has solved all the issues about whatever failures you have, whatever mistakes you make, whatever you do wrong, and whatever you wish you could do better. If you believe that, through faith, then you perform good works. That's what Paul tells us. You perform good works. Now the question then becomes what good works are. I mean, there's been huge theological <laughs> treaties on what is good works. Again, for me, it becomes very simple. It's really very simple. The good works that we are called upon to go and do because we have received the grace of God, because we believe that God has graced us with His pleasure and it is glorious grace, is that I treat you as if you have received that grace, the same as I have. In other words, I love you secondarily to God as much as I love myself. I treat you the way I would like to be treated. I honor you as the living reflection in the image of God. Bishop Michael Marshall, who was one of the great preachers of the Anglican Church from England for many years, used to say, Every one of us has a guardian angel. And this guardian angel walks in front of us saying, Make way for the image of God. Make way for the image of God. How do you feel about that? Do you feel guilty? Yet you're undeserving? Or do you puff up and say, Sure am. Or do you find it as a means of thank you? Thank you. And if I was made in the image of God as a gift from God, and if I have received Jesus Christ's sacrifice as a gift from God, if I have received the joy of being able to see 
and, and emotionally feel that which God has graced us with as a gift from God. And if you, created in the image of God, are a gift of God to me, then how am I supposed to accept that and live into it and find joy in it? Those good works are those things that I endeavor to do to thank God for the grace He has bestowed upon me. And I encourage you to see it the same way. Because guess what? I have seen way, way too many people who don't know it. They don't. And I bet you have too. There are people who have degraded themselves. And there are people who have been degraded by us and others. And whose life is not an image that looks anything like the, God, the image of God. And are we to accept that? Are we to allow them to not understand the gifts of God? To know them? To joy in them? To reflect them to others? God forbid. The good work I feel called to do is to give God thanks for what He has given me, as undeserving as I am, and has allowed me to understand that I've been made in the image of God and that that angel precedes me. But at the same time he is doing that, I look at every one of you and I see that angel in front of you and you are the image of God to me. And I must not only respect that, I must joy in it. I must reflect that recognition. And when it is not reflected to me, when I see people who do not understand, do not have it in some way failed to get it in their mind and in their hearts to the extent that I can lovingly reflect to them that they are to me the image of God then I have done the good work that Paul has outlined for us to do that the grace is glorious not weak not fleeting, not little. So what I want to encourage you to do this day is that when you leave here, if, if you believe what I have said, if you have developed faith, not just that John Hancock was the first president, <laughs> but faith that you are indeed been graced by God magnificently, gloriously graced by God. Share it. Share it. Reflect it. Image it. And treat everyone you see as the image of God to you. Amen. Amen.